Tonight we're actually concluding some messages, a message that I had started some weeks ago. Um, in Deuteronomy, if you remember, we're, we're working our way through the book, and, uh, and uh, we're going to go through this tonight here. Deuteronomy, here this evening. Um, the chapters we're dealing with here this evening, 13, 14, and 15, are practical chapters uh, dealing with different aspects of the Jewish life. And uh, though I would grant to you that we're not going to uh, maybe be giving tithes of corn and wine and oil and substances, or nor will we, will we be releasing slaves anytime soon, these chapters have great practical application for our lives as uh, they held for them. There's also some things in here tonight that we'll see that I believe is not just practical, but still applies to New Testament principle, and New Testament doctrine, and New Testament commandments that God would want us as believers uh, today to still be involved with. And so tonight we're in here at Deuteronomy. And uh, verses, chapters number 13, 14, and 15. By the way, if you didn't know, uh, Noah's birthday's tomorrow, and you're all invited to his birthday party afterwards if you'd like to come. Um, I'd like to point out that the things we're studying here tonight um, were national laws. Again, this might be a review, and you might remember some of these things I said last time. I'll hurry through the first portion. But God gave these laws to national Israel. Okay, I think that's always important when understanding the law. It's always important in understanding the first five books of the Bible, Joshua, and also Judges. This is a nation, okay? And nations have certain, uh, God has given to them certain sovereign rights to be able to do certain things as nations may do them. A nation may, by its own sovereignty, decide to invade another nation. And they may get beat, may get destroyed, may fall, but... You know, understand that the UN Council is something rather new. Okay, all right. Rules of law and rules, or excuse me, rules of war is something rather, if you want to say, new. And uh, but isn't it interesting that before there was ever any rules of war, that God had rules of war? Did you know that that God had rules of war? Uh, he, he is uh, he is the really the only religion out there. Uh, that is going to prescribe certain rights even to women that were taken in war. And so uh, women's rights and war rights and war criminal rights and prisoners of war, uh, I, you know, all of that has its basis in God in the war. And always remember that. And so, but just also remember that this is speaking to national Israel, and uh, I'm not speaking to national Israel today, it's a different subject, I'm speaking to national Israel at this time in the history of the Deuteronomy, so uh, so anyhow, um, so when you, so when God commanded that people be put to death for worshiping false gods, we have to understand that he's talking about a national that he's talking about a government here, right? right? Yeah. The 
these were national laws that were required of them to do so. And um, the church is not operating in that fashion today. Amen. Right? right. Now, it, it tried that. Yeah. It tried that. The, the Catholic Church tried that. Uh, Luther tried that. Calvin tried that. Yeah. Swingley tried that. Uh, the, uh, you know, they all tried that. And most of them, when they tried that, one of the first people that they banished were the battles. And uh, remarkably, so even uh, Swingley, uh, the great missionary endeavors were under him. Yet under his authority, he saw to it that uh, that Baptists were drowned and uh, for uh, being re-baptizers, re-baptizers. And, uh, but nonetheless, even in America, in short form, in order, it was tried here. Uh, the Quakers were mainly in Pennsylvania. Massachusetts had its Puritans. New Jersey had its Lutherans. Anglicans in Virginia. And what was so interesting is that in that the U.S. history is that the thing that the, if you want to call them all Puritans and pilgrims, those that were seeking refuge in a new world, what they left in England and their other places, so oddly, they came to America and to try to establish the exact same thing and the exact same rulership. And we praise God for men like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Roger Williams. Say so he was not a president. What was he? Oh, Roger Williams was a Baptist who first coined the phrase uh, liberty of conscience. And uh, it was that phrase that really stuck in the mind of Thomas Jefferson and solidified that there should not be a uh, church-state union. And, uh, but every man should worship according to the liberty of his own conscience. And, uh, and so America even has Baptists to thank for, uh, thank for that um, when, you, when, it, when, you, when, it's all, when it's all washed out. So uh, the church tried that, and it, and it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't work, all right? And, uh, and it won't work because that's not God's purpose, okay? We're not here to teach replacement theology or covenant theology. That's not our goal here. Uh, nor do I see, but I see, uh, I see the church in Israel as two different entities, two different uh, distinct plans that God has. And that God will bring together under one uh, particular person, and that is the son of Abraham, the son of David, Jesus Christ. I cannot claim the promises of Israel, uh, nor am I under some of the laws that Israel was under. But Deuteronomy outlines for us very practical, easy to understand, and uh, laws and that are someday that are usually guided by New Testament principles. And uh, here's the number one principle. God is concerned with every aspect of our lives. If, if there's one thing, if you go back through and read Deuteronomy again, okay? And Deuteronomy and the law and some of the other books sometimes are a little, uh, they're a little tough to get through sometimes, all right? There's no doubt about that because we feel like I'm reading a book that doesn't apply to me. Right? I'm reading something that no longer applies. But as you read it again and again and again, 
one thing that you're going to really pick up on is this, is that God is concerned with every aspect of our life. And whether or not that we should eat pork or not, that's not the point here tonight. The point is this, is that God is concerned even with what we eat and drink. Right? Colossians says that. Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So God's still concerned about our eating and drinking, all right? He's still concerned with how we live and our every aspect of our life. Um, with that all being said here tonight, um, and one more point with that is this, is that, and God has a right to be concerned with every aspect of our life, right? I mean, he's God. He created us. He is our maker. And he does all of it for our own good. Okay? All right? I'm not preaching against eating, and we'll talk about uh, just a moment on dietary laws. But listen, I think all of us could agree in our modern day of science that probably eating, you know, fistfuls of pork every single day is probably not good for your health. Okay? All right? Not good for the arteries. Okay? Amen. <laughs> okay. So it's probably not going to be good for you. Okay? Um, you know, uh, I would probably give up pork if they didn't make bacon. But, you know, and uh, so... Amen. But the point being is that God did these things for our good. Deuteronomy 6.24 says this, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to the fear to, to fear the Lord our God for our good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. So let us look at some of these principles here tonight. Number one, and like I said, I've already mentioned this one to you, be careful of who you are around. Chapter number 13 deals with that. It speaks in this way. Uh, it speaks about the, pro the false prophet, the false family member, and the false city. Um, but the Bible in the New Testament is, uh, is full of this talk also. For in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 33 and 34, the Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this uh, to your shame. So we need to be careful, even as New Testament Christians, of who we hang out with, right? I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 4 through 11, he said that false Christ will arise, okay? So there are going to be, and they will continue to arise. Uh, he also tells them in verses 6 through 11, I'm speaking through this in the chapter 13, but verses 6 through 11, he says, if you've got a friend or a relative that tells you, hey, come and worship these false gods, make sure you report it, take care of it. And then I love this about the Lord. The Lord puts always puts accountability on the person that is uh, ratting somebody out, if you want to say it like that, right? Why? Because they had to be the first person to throw the stone. Think about that. Okay? You had to be the one. If you were lying, you knew you were lying, and you had to be the person that killed that person, first of all. So, God was going after conscience there, I believe. Um, but has anything changed? Uh, no. I would say that God has even strengthened the command. God has gone beyond and said, not that if a friend or a relative speaks falsely unto you and uh, that you are to stone them, but God says to us, as he told uh, Elisha, 
that if any man come to me and hate not his father or his mother or his wife or his children or brethren and sisters in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So if you put God, even if you put your family above Christ, Christ says, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be it. A lot of times we think that the laws and the principles of the New Testament have waxed up some. But when you really study it out, the Jesus said on several, on several occasions in the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? You have heard it have been said, but I say unto you, right? I mean, he is putting more, a more stringent demand upon us. Why? Because we're New Testament Bible-believing Christians. We have the whole Bible, amen? We have the full canon of the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church. We have support. We, we've got all of these added benefits that the people in Deuteronomy, they didn't have Right? They didn't have these things. So we're very blessed. And then the false city. Uh, be careful of those. If a city turns their back on God, then make sure that you do what you're supposed to do with them. Uh, be careful of them. All right? And I believe the principle is clear with all three of these. The false city, the false church, or the false friend, and the false, and the, uh, false prophet is that know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, and you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of God, of our God. So we should realize that the principle is clear, that, uh, that there is a difference between righteous and unrighteous, and we need to stay away from the unrighteous. We don't need to mingle in and get involved and say, hey, I'm going to be part of the, just part of the crowd. Those kinds of things. God said, be careful. And then, secondly, be careful how you live. And this was another chapter that we went through, and uh, it was found in chapter number 14. Be careful with your body. Be careful. He goes on and he talks about being careful with your body and then being careful uh, with your diet. And then at the end, he talks about being careful with your money. Uh, he says, uh, in the first parts here, he says, make sure you don't make any markings on your body. Don't lack like the heathen. Don't mark up your body. Don't cut your body. And, uh, and then people still do this today, don't they? You know, uh, a lot of people think that this meant that they were doing this for death, even when somebody died. You say, man, do people still do that today? Oh, man, yeah, people still. I mean, how many people even say, rest in peace, you know, grandma, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know? Uh, they, I know that's that sounds real stupid, but I mean, I mean that's what they do that all the time. You know, that happens. People mark their bodies; they cut their bodies. All right. Now he says something here, and I'll just put it out again. Make do not make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. All right. That doesn't mean you can't trim your eyebrows. All right. That's not what it means. Okay. And the idea was that there would have been either a a uh, either the shaving off of the eyebrows or even the idea of maybe all the eyebrows or even the first part of the head being completely shaven. And the purpose of that was a marking for the dead. Was that was a marking for the dead? And uh, he said, "Don't adopt the heathen practices." All right, is the idea there? Don't adopt the heathen practices uh, in your life. Um, uh, going on, he talks about the diet. 
Now, in the diet section here, the dietary laws, he brings them up here, and he speaks from verses 3 down to verse number uh, verse number 20 here. And he speaks about all these things that you can eat and that you can't eat and all those kinds of stuff. And I know we kind of joke around about the pork and that kind of thing, but for most of us, we have no problem not eating camel, horse, vulture, skunk, possum, hog, eagle, or bat, all right? Okay. So, I mean... 90% of the list, we're pretty, we're pretty, we're pretty set on. We're like, man, I'm all right. Did you know that you can't, you know, if, a, if a Jew, God created, uh, created animals all over the world. I mean, if a Jew went to Africa, he could have eaten a giraffe. Uh, so, it splits the hoof and, and, uh, and chews the cut. So, uh, just a clean animal. But anyhow, uh, big animal too. Could be the, a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. But the second teaching here is for certain types of food. Be careful of them. Watch out for them. All right? But the main reason he tells them is for the clean and unclean factor. What is the purpose here? What is he trying to say here? Well, he's trying to teach them, teach them too, is that this is the way the heathen did. I mean, they just eat everything. There's no distinction. There's no nothing. And there's just, I mean, whatever, if it moves, crawls, uh, jumps or whatever, just eat it. Okay? And, man, and, I'm not, and I'm not putting down anybody that does this, but you can still see that in poverty-stricken places and places that are, that are abounding with heathenism is that, man, they'll just they'll eat anything and everything. They'll kill everything and eat everything. I was in Guyana, and I, and I remember, I mean, it's the, the, uh, the leopard there in, in Guyana is, is close to endangerment. I walk into a guy's home, and what's he got on the wall? Got a leopard skin right there on the wall. You know what I mean? Unashamed, brazen. You know what I mean? Like, what y'all do that? We ate it, you know? You know, that's what you do. What's the stuff that you eat, you know, that you kill? You put, the, put it on the wall, and you eat it. Uh, eat the meat. So, I'm just saying that that God is still just, just giving a distinction between the two. Even in our, even in today's day, um, in China and other places, they still have blood soup and they have blood popsicles and things like that. And uh, and uh, they have those kinds of things. And we're told in Acts chapter number 15 that Gentiles, and this is what's interesting, all right? This is where we get our teachings from of why I don't believe that God puts these dietary laws on us anymore that are found right here. What is, Gen- what is Acts chapter 15? Who is writing there? That is James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, writing to the Gentile believers, all right? And in the inspired letter, he writes for them that they should not eat things strangled, and they should not eat things, uh, they should not eat, um, they should not eat the blood. They should not eat the blood. Why should we not eat the blood? Because the life is in the blood, all right? So we don't eat the blood, okay? That doesn't mean you got to have well-done steaks, okay? All right? Understand that's a different thing. It's protein breaking out the ball. Okay, anyhow. Uh, so, uh, okay, they take care of the blood at the slaughterhouse, okay? They drain the blood, all right? They get rid of that, all right, there. Uh, also, Paul tells them in 1 Timothy, he tells them what? He says that you should receive the meats. He says, in fact, there are some that are commanding us to abstain from meats. He says, but every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Also, before the law was written, Noah was told in Genesis 9-3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. But, in 1 Corinthians, and I'm hastily going through this because we're going through once. 1 Corinthians 8-12, remember this text, alright? When, when you get into food groups and dietary laws, alright? Remember, 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 
that if we choose to eat something in violation of another brother or sister's conscience, all right, we so sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, yea, and ye sin against Christ. Yeah. So, uh, so you got a brother that, or you know that 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 doesn't want to eat something. You know, don't you know that doesn't want to eat pork? Don't take him down to Speedy's Barbecue, okay? All right. And so, uh, <laughs> Brother John knows what I'm talking about. And uh, don't take him out there to eat a pork to be a pork sandwich, okay? Right. All right. Don't even invite your 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 Islamic friend, all right, yeah. to to eat a, to eat somewhere like that, okay? Right. Don't invite your Jewish friend to do something like that, okay? You're 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 sinning against them, and you're sinning against Christ. You're trying to offend their conscience. And that's wicked, okay? We ought to be trying to win somebody like that to the Lord. Amen? That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be getting them a ribeye or a T-bone steak. Amen. Amen. All right. <laughs> and we ought to be trying to help them out to understand. Hey, I love you, brother. I love you, brother. But I love you, man. I love you. I love you. I love you, uh, lady. I love you. I want you to be saved. And I want to do what I can. I don't want to offend somebody. And then he speaks to the money issue. And the money that he speaks of here is from the from here to the end of the chapter. And the money that he talks about is the tithe. And he speaks about giving 10% of it back to the Lord. Now, he tells us several reasons why. He says, number one, one of the purposes of the tithe is in order that you might enjoy it for the celebration of the feast that were going on throughout the year. God had seven feasts. Those feasts had to be funded. They had to be taken care of. And he says, part of the tithe is going to go towards those feasts right there. All right? Um, another thing that's interesting in this, I've always found this interesting uh, about the dietary laws, is that uh, you should not, in verse 21, you should not eat anything that dieth of itself. Uh, again, we don't have usually any problem with roadkill. Uh, Thou shalt give it unto a stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it. God has no problem with the stranger eating that. Or thou may assail it to an alien, for thou art unholy people unto the Lord thy God. And then he says something else. He says, Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. All right? Yeah. And I always thought, why, why would God not want them to boil you know, the kid that in its mother's milk. And the only thing that I've ever read in any commentary is that God is just not a cruel God. Yeah. I mean, he's just not a cruel God. Can you imagine milking the, the little goat and then taking the baby from the goat and then boiling it in its own mama's milk? I mean, that's just cruel, okay? And God's not a cruel God. Mm-hmm. If you find a bird and you find the nest, don't take, don't take the eggs and the bird, leave one or the other, right? You don't, you don't take both, okay? God is the first conservationist, okay? God is a caring God. He even knows when a sparrow falls and hits the ground, okay? So may we be caring too. God is not stringent in this thing of the tithe, though. I find this interesting. Look at verse 24. He said, And if the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or for the place be too far from thee, which the Lord thy God shall choose to set in his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then thou shalt turn it into money, and bind up the money in that hand. So God says to them, he says, Hey, you don't have to bring the wine, the corn, the oil, and all the rest of that stuff if you live a long ways away from Jerusalem. He says, Hey, sell those things, put it in the, put it in your, turn it into money, and bring it on down here. That's okay. God's not strict. And in fact, there's another place that tells us about the tithe. 
that if they were not able to come at a certain time of the year, that God actually gave them a three-year uh, late fee notice and let them go for three years if they couldn't come. And uh, God is an understanding God. Amen? And, um, but also he tells them that the tithe was taken up in order to, uh, verse 27, and the Levite that was within thy gates, thou shalt not forsake him, he hath part of inheritance with thee. So he was there to take the Levite up. The Levites were the preachers. They were the helpers of the priests in that day. And then another reason a tithe was taken up is in verse 29. And the Levite, because he had no part of inheritance with thee, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are within thy gates, and shall eat and be satisfied, the Lord may bless thee in all thy work. So why did they take up the tithe? In order to fund the operations of the feast, in order to take care of the priests and the Levites, the preachers, and the, the pastors, the priests, the ministers of the day, and then also to take care of the stranger, the widow, and the fathers. All right? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God's still concerned about the operations of the church? Do you think God's still concerned about the fatherless, the widows, the, and, uh, and, uh, and, the, and the orphans? Yes. Do you think God's still concerned about taking care of preachers? Yes. Amen. Okay. All right? So time. All right. No, I'm just joking, but... The point being is this, is that the reason we still practice this today is not because it's commanded of us in the New Testament. It's a principle that we still follow because they're still we're still doing the exact same thing that they did back then. Still the exact same thing. I don't even, I, I don't even know, uh, you know, that's what even goes beyond the law. Our giving does, does it not? I mean, look at Barnabas. He sold all of his land. And gave it unto the church. All right. So uh, anybody that likes to argue about giving to the Lord, I just always take them back to the Book of Acts and say, oh, well, "What principle do you want to follow? You know what I mean? The one where they sell everything and give it to the church, or the one that you know that Jacob followed? Which one do you like?" And uh, most people, well, when they have that kind of heart, they don't want to follow the Lord anyhow. So, <laughs> um, but nonetheless. All that to say, my last point, all right? So um, I rushed through all that to get to our final thing. And that is that we ought to be concerned with the poor. Now, at the end of seven years, he says in verses 1 through 6, thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth all unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact of his neighbor or of his brother because it is called the Lord's release. At the end of seven years, they were to, if they had a brother that is a Jew that was under bondage that they had taken, then they were to release them, forgive them of all their debts. Okay? You see, God did not have a system of bankruptcy in those days. Right? God believes in personal accountability. Amen. Amen. So if you can't pay your bills, and you can't pay, you know, your neighbor Scott because you borrowed ten thousand dollars from him, and you can't pay him back, well, guess what? You get to serve Scott until you can pay the money back. All right. Now God is gracious. Amen. Because at the end of seven years, no matter how much more you owed Scott, you got released. Right? You were released. And then he says, but then he says, of a foreigner, thou mayest exact it again. That means another seven years. But
but that which is thine, thy brother, thy hand shall release. Uh, so, uh, so he tells them, hey, he says, but, before, but he realized that even the foreigners were released on the jubilee here. So even they were able to have a release. So God is, God is, you know, the problem, there's people compare God's slavery to America's slavery, and it's totally not even the same. And it's not even the same whatsoever. It, it wasn't even a, a racist slavery whatsoever. Uh, we, we look at slavery as racism, okay? I'm not, I'm not condoning slavery tonight, okay? At all, all right? So much the way on Facebook, oh, preachers say you know, no, okay? I'm not condoning slavery. I'm just explaining that there is and was a difference between the two. But God had a reason for this. And that is because God has compassion over the poor. He has compassion over the poor. He does not want the poor to stay in poverty perpetually. Okay? But now we live in a system that desires to do that. Alright? That is the bane of capitalism. Right? That's the bane of any man-made religion, man-made economy. Is that it traps people and wants people to stay at a certain level. It has to do that. Either by taxes, unfair and unjust laws, things that do not permit certain things to grow. Alright? So, we're in that. We have to learn how to live within that, okay? Alright? I don't think it's our job to try to change capitalism, okay? Alright? I think it's a lot better alternative than Socialism and capitalism, and then, and then uh, communism. Thank you. And uh, but nonetheless, God's system was to get the poverty, get the poor out of poverty. God's system was to say, no, don't hold people down all the time. If they were poor and they're indebted to you, let them work for you. But then, look what it says in verse number seven. If there be any among you a poor man or one of thy brethren within thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thy hand wide and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need and that which he wanted. Beware that there be not a fault in thy wicked heart. Aren't these tough words? Listen to this. Thy wicked heart saying, the seventh year of the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught, and he cried unto the Lord against thee, and it be sent unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thy hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. And that is, that is, that is the lie that all economies try to teach. That this is a way to get everybody on the same level. No. The Word of God says that there will always be poor folk. Always. But we're not to harden our hearts towards people like that. Therefore I command, he says, I command 
being saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to the poor and to the needy in thy land. And if thy brother, an Hebrew or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, and then the seventh year thou shalt let him go free, and when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Did you see this? So in slavery, even in this type of slavery, he says that you bring them in, you treat them fairly, and then when you release them, you don't release them with nothing. You actually give to them. Thou shalt furnish them liberally out of thy flock, out of thy floor, out of thy winepress, out of thy wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this day. They were to take care of them, the man that served them for seven years. They were not to take advantage of them and their service to them. Never take advantage of somebody. Amen? Never take advantage of somebody. If somebody does a good job for you, you do it, you, you pay them fairly. You pay them squarely. You give them a tip, even. You bless them. They blessed you, you bless them. You be a blessing. You be a help. And as Christians, we should be people that are generous. We are liberal in our giving. We are helpful. We are not taking advantage of somebody. Because that's the way the world wants to do it. The world wants to be penny pinchers so oftentimes. They want to be, they, they want to try to cut every single thing. You know, when I was when I was working regularly uh, for customers and uh, and for for, for Kevin Mooney. You know what? I found out that some of the cheapest people that tried to cut every corner were people that were rich. Yep. Nickel and dime you on everything, you know? You know, and they've got five cars in the garage, multi-million dollar house, and they're questioning you on a $7.50 flat. You know? Some people say, well, that's how you get rich. You know? Well, I understand that principle, watching every penny. I get that. But at the same time, you don't got to be a miser. Pay the people. Be nice to the people. Offer them some sweet tea. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I mean, Luke knows what that's what I'm talking about right there. How many of you have ever worked somewhere and been somewhere and you've worked slavishly the whole entire day and swept the, by the sweat of your face and you've worked all day and nobody even offers you a glass of water? Nobody even has a thoughtfulness to say, uh, can I help you? Could, could I give you something? Could I get you something? You know? Listen, that, Christians, we should never be like that. Amen? We should be like he's talking about right here. You say, I'm not owning slaves, and we're not going to own slaves, but you might have somebody hire you. You might have somebody work for you. You're going to have somebody that's going to be helping you out, and you need to be a blessing to them. Be a blessing to them. Give them a tip. Bless them. Watch over My father-in-law taught me a lot of this about helping people and paying people and being a blessing to people. He's a blessing to folks. And, uh, and, and he's taught me a lot on these things. And uh, pest control guy comes, man, he does an excellent job. He gets every single room. I've watched him. Every single nook and cranny. Gets everywhere he can. You know what? I give him $20. Say, get you something. Get you some lunch, man. Yeah. Get you some lunch. He's like, that's $20 out of my pocket. 
You know what? That might be that might be twenty dollars the next time that I get to say, "Hey, man, uh, you know for sure if you're going to heaven through Jesus Christ." Or would it be better for him the next time to come and go, "Hey, we noticed that you haven't paid your bill in a couple of months." Yeah. Oh, by the way, can I give you a gospel track? I don't think that's going to fly over too good to you. <laughs> Listen, folks, we have an obligation to those that are less fortunate than us. And all of us have somebody, know somebody, or seen somebody that is less fortunate than us, right? Mm -hmm. There's always a scale, okay? Now, some of us are more well-off than others. That's not what I'm talking about. We all have somebody we know, we see. There's people out there that you can say, hey, they're less fortunate than we are, all right? I'm not saying unload your bank account on somebody that's homeless, okay? But I need to be better at this, and that's why I'm preaching this tonight, because I need to be better at this. Is that I don't need to harden my heart towards the homeless. I don't need to harden. You said they're going to spend their money on drugs. They're going to spend it on alcohol. All right? And I think the devil, a long time ago, he, uh, I, I gave a guy some money at a stop one time. I was about... I was about 17 or 18 years old. Maybe I was a little bit older, maybe 19 or 20. I think I'd just been saved. And uh, and I went over to Chili's and uh, got something with my buds, and we were eating. And the same homeless guy walks into Chili's, walks right up to the bar, and orders the biggest beer that he could order. You know, I used to think that that was God showing me that. I kind of wonder, look back on that, I wonder if that was the devil. He said, what do you mean? I wonder if the devil was trying to harden my heart towards people. Towards people. I'm Like I said, I'm not asking you to fund somebody's habit. Okay? And if you don't agree with me on this, if you don't want to give money to the homeless, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not for you, I'm not against you. Okay? I'm just saying that I'm not asking you to give money. I'm just asking you don't harden your heart towards them. Don't harden your heart towards the poor. Don't harden your heart towards those that are less fortunate than you are. If you can't give them money, give them a gospel tract. If you can't give them money, give them a, give them a bottle of water. You say they don't want that. Hey, you do what God wants you to do. Just don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart towards them. Be open. You say, Why? Because you need to remember you were a bondman in the land of Egypt at one time too. One time you were enslaved also. Yeah. Amen. And one time you, you were you were a sinner and you were lost. You say I was five years old. Hey, guess what? You were still just a lost little girl. Like, you know what? There was a five-year-old, a six-year-old that was serving there in Naaman's that there was there in Naaman's camp. That's right. And she was the one that told that Elisha uh, could heal him. Elijah could heal. Elisha. Elisha could heal. But it was this a little five or six year old little girl, a little maid. I said, it don't matter how old you were when you got saved. You were still a bondman. You were still a bondwoman. You were bound to Egypt. That was where you were living at. That was where you were bound to sin is where you were at. And God saved you out of that. And sometimes he delivers people. You know, some of the people that were in captivity in, in, in Babylon were five years old when they got back, and got back. And some of them were 75 years old. You realize that? God delivers people at all different ages. 
He doesn't just deliver 19-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 20-year-olds, okay? He delivers 5-year-olds and 75-year-olds. And I've led both of them to the Lord. I've seen God save both of them. I've seen God work in both young and both old. But the point being is this, is it doesn't matter how long you spent in Babylon or how long you spent in Egypt, guess what, my friend, is that we were all at one time bondmen and bondwomen. And we have no right to harden our heart. And like he says, do not ever say in your wicked hearts, in chapter number 15, beware that there not be a thought in thy wicked heart let there never be a thought in our wicked hearts to look down on somebody and say, man, what a piece of junk. This scourge on our society. I know it's gross to see some of the things you see. But this, remember this thought. If it weren't for the grace of God, there go I. There go I. Be careful how you treat others. And then he gives them the final portion of this law, and that is in verses number 16, 17, and 18. He says, now, there might be a servant that doesn't want to go away from you, because he loveth thee in thine house, because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant shalt thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. He tells them here, he says, you might have a servant that loves you and wants to stay with you. He says that could be the case. He says you be good to them. He is like a double hired servant. He's like a double hired servant. Now, this might be something that's uh, a little foreign to some of us, but maybe, maybe some of us might understand this. You might have somebody that works for you or helps you out for a really long time. You know what? Be good to them. Be nice to them. Don't take it, like I said, don't take anybody for granted. Don't take anybody, don't take advantage of anybody. Listen, that person might not be as well educated as you are. They might not be able to add figures as fast as you can. They might not be able to process, hey, listen, you be nice to them. And you love them. And watch over them. They're worth a double hired servant. A double hired servant. These are some things that God has told us to do in the book of Deuteronomy. Again, not all of them are going to be commands for us. But all of them should help us to realize that God is concerned about every aspect of our life. He does it for our good. Does it for our good. May God help us to be careful how we live, to take care of the poor. The poor you will always have with you. 
I think Jesus said that too, didn't he? Yeah. He told them the same thing. He said, the poor you have always with you. You have always the poor. Paul said in Galatians 2.10, he said that he was instructed of the Jerusalem church, only that they should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. He said, I always did that. I was always careful to take care of the poor. May God put it in our hearts to take care of the poor and of the needy. Praise the Lord for folks like Brother Van Bolton's work. He wants to get in these prisons. There's hardly anybody poorer than somebody that's in a prison sometimes. May God answer that request and get them in. May God help us to pray for people like Brother Yalls. Perhaps somebody poorer than people that are on death row. Need, 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 have no job. Listen, the poor. May God give us a heart. Well, Father, we're thankful for the work.